You're listening to the Roanoke Valley Church Podcast. Today's sermon is lesson number six from our Treasuring God series entitled Treasuring Hope. Biblical hope is in stark contrast to wishful thinking or optimism. It's not based on circumstances or even evidences. Those who treasure hope engage God by waiting expectantly for Him. Listen in as we discuss what Peter meant in his letter in 1 Peter chapter 1 as he encourages the scattered saints in the Roman provinces of Asia with the living hope that is kept for us that will never spoil or fade. Listen in to learn more about what it means and how to treasure hope. We invite you to visit our website, RoanokeValleyChurch.org, and see our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Church, for more ways you can be a part of all that God is doing in the Roanoke Valley. And now, enjoy today's sermon. Today, um, I have the challenge, and I, I mean that every, by every sense of the word, challenge to preach on hope. Uh, the challenge with topical lessons is that they're massive, and you have a lesson on hope. Uh, you know, if you've studied your Bible at any, anything, that, any, any point of time, that's a massive topic. So there's, there's living hope, there's resurrection hope, there's, there, there's so much. So I'm going to go ahead and just put a disclaimer out there. This sermon will not do it for you. This is meant to be kind of like an appetizer, and your time with God prayerfully motivated after this will be the main course. Uh, I find in almost 20 years of being a disciple, if I'm dependent upon the sermon, I'm not saying this to make my job easier, by the way, but if, it's, if my life is dependent upon what the pastor says every Sunday, I'm malnourished spiritually. So this is meant to be a, a collective, we're in this together, to study out what it means to treasure hope. And I know that I'm going to be slicing and dicing these notes up here because there's so much of them uh, just to keep this in a good time and prayerfully uh, wet your palate so you can go and study these things out all the more. So hope is a massive uh, topic, but it's, uh, it's, it's best to define what it is biblically because culturally hope means something totally different than actually when God says hope in Scripture, what that means. It actually means three different things which is why I told you this is a massive topic. There are two different words in the Hebrew, and there's one in the Greek. One is yakal, if you want to spell that out, Y-A-K-H-A-L. That's the first word, and it means to wait for. That's pretty, that's pretty common, right? The expectation, an expectation of what is going to happen. The second Hebrew word is kava, not kebab, but kava, and that's Q-A-V-A-H. And that means cord or rope or something you're tied to, tension. So there's expectation and the tension of holding on as you wait. So when you hope for something, that that sounds like it's pretty much on track for us so far. And what even those who don't necessarily have a spiritual mindset would say hope is. Like I'm waiting for it and there's tension as as I wait, right? You wait for your grade, you wait for your kids to come back from school after the first day of middle school and you're like, what's their face gonna be, right Drew? Drew sent his... When Peter talks about it, or Paul talks about the hope of glory in Jesus, there's this waiting, anticipation, tension, but then also kind of this door of it's going to walk through this door at any moment. And there's an expectation, not a what we would say a culture, I hope so, meaning you're not guaranteed, you're not sure. But biblical hope means it's just a matter of time. This is going to happen. I just don't know when. And I'm waiting expectantly, and there's tension for that. 
but I know what door to look at, and I know it's coming through this door. It's just a matter of time. So it really does, if we treasure hope, it changes us forever. Treasuring hope allows you to be crafted in the very image of God. Treasuring hope allows you to be anchored no matter what comes your way. Treasuring hope actually allows you to be, in a healthy sense, untethered by the worries of this world. You know, when, when Michelle and Karen were up here sharing Hebrews about, you know, throwing off everything that hinders you and the sin that so easily entangles, and then Jesus being able to look with joy to the cross, that's all because he has a biblical hope. And the charge that the author of Hebrews is able to give us that says, you know, why can I, why should I throw things off? Why can't I discern what's entangling me? It's because you know what door you should be looking for and through. So I don't need this. I don't need this. Get this out of here. Get this out of here. And then I can, in the midst of difficulty, still look joyfully towards the future. Disciples of Jesus are meant to be set up for success to do just that. And there's so much difficulty in the world, so much drama and trauma and mama llamas. There's so much out there that will keep us right here, six inches in front of our face, and maybe at best, despairing. Sometimes completely, you know, set apathetic to what's going on. Some of us running the other way and clinging to what we can control. And some of us, I fear, are right on the edge of just throwing in the towel altogether. And treasuring hope, I believe, not I hope, but I believe, which is a biblical hope, that this reminder for us this morning can help us come off the cliff of quitting spiritually, can motivate us to actually participate in the story that God is doing in your life, despite the difficulty, that you'll actually have a new grounding to understanding some of the suffering that's going on in our world and not despairing, and especially not holding on to things that were never meant to be held on to. That sense of kava, that cord, is to make sure you're holding on to the right hope, the right cord. You ever heard, uh, you ever seen the, the prank of, there's, there's this old show where you, you're, you're trying to win the show by pulling on a certain string, and if you pull it, then you get like this prize, and the other ones are actually just pouring water on you. And they have to guess, like, okay, I think it's, I think this, this one. Whoever pulls the right cord and the confetti falls, they win the game. So these people are like, okay, they answer a question, kind of buzzer, and then they get, if they get the question right, they get to pull one of the cords. And there's just this anticipation of, like, am I going to get soaked or am I going to have the confetti? And it's just pull the cord, bam, and it's water, and the reminder, like, oh, that wasn't the right one. And it goes back and forth until they're kind of like, and then the confetti falls, and then they're, they're like surprised, like, yay, that was the right one. Wahoo! And I think sometimes that's how we can live our lives. Like, um, I hope this is the right one. No! Or, and then even when you do pull the right one, you're not sure that's the one you should be living, should be pulling. Disciples of Jesus are like, you know what? All these cords, I know which one I'm holding on to. And when I pull that bad boy, it's going to be tethered, and it can support me, and then some. And it's not a guessing game. We're not meant to live our lives going from cord to cord, being reminded that that's not it. We're meant to know which one it is 
and to hold on tight. Hold on for, as we say, for dear life. And that's what it means to have biblical hope. So for me in this study, in the time in the Word and all this, I hope to convey just a little bit about how we really can hold on to the cord. And the title of this hope or treasuring hope is Hope is a Rope. Hope is a rope. We just got to make sure we're holding on to the right one. There's so much here. So again, hope is not this, mm, I hope this works out. Hope is not optimism. Optimism is based on circumstances. Optimism is even based on a person coming through for you. Optimism, in its core, really is naive. Optimism, at its core, is very much based on secular things, not spiritual things. So when we say biblical hope, it's not like, oh, I need to become an optimist. Like, oh, yeah, it's all going to work out. You ever met someone like that that had difficulty? And you're like, how are you doing? They're like, oh, it's okay. It's all going to work out. It's all good. Even they might throw this. You know, God is good. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And you're like, that's unhealthy. <laughs> like, you just went through that, and you don't have any, any hardship, any difficulty, any real, like, are you real? And I think sometimes as disciples, we think if we're hopeful that when anything comes our way, we should be like, oh, you know what? No big deal. God is good. I'm not worried. I'm not distressed. I'm not, I'm not hurt. This isn't, a, this isn't a big deal. You know, no, nothing is too hard for the Lord. And you're like, you know, that's what I think we expect everyone to, to see from us as Christians. But that's actually unhealthy. And it's an optimism. That I think it's based on this sense of I need to be joyful for other people so that they see that what my faith is is, you know, hey, so-and-so is bulletproof. So-and-so is, you know, can't be touched. And that puts a lot of pressure on you. And now you're hanging on the rope you just created. You know where I'm going with this? Versus really hanging on to the rope. That's hope. Hope's a rope. <clears throat> so it's not optimistic. And all the pessimists out there are like, yeah, that's right. That's right. So we either tend to be, you know, as the, the old thing is, half empty or half full. I could put a glass up here and be half full or half empty, and it's kind of a personality test, right? Like, how do you see things? It's the same circumstances, and that's true for all of us. Same circumstances are presented to all of us, and some of us will be like, hey, you know what? I, I see some opportunity here. And other, other of us will be like, man, what? I can't believe that's going on, and you know what's happening, and this, and this, and this. And whenever a pessimist, who I tend to be, lean towards, come in contact with an optimist, you're like, you know what? You don't see the potential threats in this situation. You know what? You need to prepare. You need to prepare for the, the complexities of this situation. You are naive. You know what? You need to plan for the worst. Expect the best. How many of us live that? That's your philosophy. Plan for the worst. Hope for the best. Some of us are like, you know what? It's all going to work out. And you kind of walk in things and you wonder why you have more stitches and breaking, broken bones than most of us. But this sense of like, you know what? I can respect that. But optimism and pessimism has no room in a, in a spiritual mind. It's not actually meant to what, it could be your personality, but it's analytical in, in one way and secular or naive. It's just all that. So again, we're not talking about pessimists or optimists. We're talking about hope. And hope is neither of those two. So we're going to talk about what it is and really learn from God's word in all of this. I have a couple of practicals if I can get to them. That's, that's, 
that's the hope in an unhealthy sense, in a biblical hope like, we will get there, just you hold on, you wait, it will, it will come. So again, um, hope is a rope, and we want to treasure that hope. So again, hope is not something that we hope happens. It's something that is a matter of time as we look through the right door. You know, what we understand about hope really does dictate how we live. You know, back in the, uh, you know, I wore this shirt for this example, okay? So back in the 60s and 70s, yeah, yeah, yeah. So before, believe it or not, before color TV, 75% of people dreamt in black and white. Their dreams were in black and white before color TV. Today, supposedly, 12% of people still dream in black and white. Anybody? Oh, Scott Chase, all right. He's a unicorn. It's amazing. But when color TV came out, studies from those same people that used to dream in black and white now dream in color just by experiencing color TV. It influenced the way they saw the world and the way they saw even the hope in the future and what they could dream for. In the same way, I believe when we connect to and really strive after treasuring hope, it changes the way we view the world. It doesn't just change what we dream, but what happens to us and what's happening in the world, we look at it differently. And that's, I believe, what God wants for all of us. As we know what to embrace, we know what to look forward to, and we know what rope to keep hanging on to. Flip over to, uh, to 1 Peter chapter 1. This is our text this morning. You guys with me? 1 Peter 1. We'll break this down a little bit. Let me see. All right, here we go. Verse, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be, to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter is talking to a church that's undergoing suffering of kinds we have not experienced. Sufferings under a Roman government, that is weeding out Christians, that in years to come will, will use Christians as torches for the garden of their Caesar. Christians will be hunted down and blamed. Christians will be on the run. Christians are being stopped in the middle of the road and being asked to say, Caesar is Lord. And if they do not, they'll be taken away and become, quote unquote, gladiators or just entertainment for Roman citizens fed to animals you name it. And this is all that are happening. So imagine here in the, in the movie of your mind, 
We're coming to church this morning, and just last week, one of our brothers and sisters said Jesus is Lord and said if Caesar is Lord and was taken away from his family or her family and is now part of the system in the Colosseum where they're chained and starved and then eventually will be out on display to be maimed by lions and other things because of their faith. And here we are gathered with that person in, in our mind, like, hey, what happened? What happened to Susie? You, you remember what happened to Rick? And then you hear this, hey, you have a living hope. You have a living hope. And just this moment, for a little while, you're suffering all kinds of trials. And what does Peter say here? One, we've been given new birth into a living hope through the resurrection. Living hope means that it's happening right now. You're living it. It's not a pie in the sky. I hope one day that I'll experience it. It's meant to be living. That every day as the disciples, that truth is meant to inform us, change our mind, influence us so much so that we make sense, or able to make sense of the story that God has all of us a part of. To look at suffering in a way that's different. To experience suffering, to experience trials, to experience hardship, and not just say God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, and be, not be real and be kind of robotic, but to actually go through it, to grieve, to weep, to hurt, to fear, all those different things, but yet have something that's living, a hope, a rope that you never let go of. Peter says that that resurrection is meant to be lived out. Every day it informs us. And then he uses a, a, a term here that inheritance. An inheritance, something waiting for you. Again, you know, with inflation, all that kind of stuff going on, and your, your 401k and Roth IRA is going all over the place. This is a nice word for us right now. Inheritance. Untouchable, it says. Will never spoil or fade. It can't be taken from you. That is something that right now we are not experiencing. It's like, hey, I just put that in and it's gone. We met a brother from Argentina at the conference who are experiencing right now in that country 56% inflation. 56%. So think about your paycheck that's coming to you tomorrow if you get paid on the two weeks ago. Half of it gone. Over half of it just gone. And then think about how that would impact you for the rest of the month. That's what they're experiencing right now. So to hear words like this, oh, I have an inheritance. I've got something, it's kind of a monetary term, but I've got something that's untouchable. No one can touch that. No government, no policy, no inflation, no ec economy. Nothing can touch that. That'd be very nice. It'd be very nice to know, like, yeah, I've got, I've got something in the bank that's not going to change. And it's beautiful to start with. It can't spoil or fade. So Peter draws their eyes and draws our eyes up to that and uses those words, never perishes, never spoils, never fades. And it says there, this inheritance, this hope, this living hope is kept in heaven for you. It's kept in heaven for you. God has this hope in his hands. And it's not a, oh, let me wait for that hope. God's holding for it, holding me, you know, holding it for me in heaven, and I got to wait for that. It's this living hope right now that God has for you that no one can touch it. Why? Because God's got it. It's like, hey, you know, is there anything that can take something away from God? Does anybody want to wrestle something away from God? You want to go, hey, you know what, God, I'm going to take that from you. you want to, 
Who wants to win that battle? Not happening. So Peter says, hey, all these powers, all these things that are happening, the government that's clamping down, the situation that happened to your brother and sister last week, it looks like everything was taken from them. They lost their family. They lost their job. They lost everything. They lost their very lives. But you know what? The inheritance that was theirs was never taken. It was kept in God's hands. And the very same thing that Rick and Susie had, so do you right now. And that is meant to inform you. It's a living hope. And I know we can feel a little bit guilty saying like, oh man, brothers and sisters, even right now, forget Rome and, you know, early 60, 70, 65 AD, there are brothers in the Middle East right now, brothers and sisters in Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Iran, Jordan, that are losing their lives for faith. You know what? I feel guilty that I'm complaining about some inflation. I'm like, oh, who, who am I to complain? And I can think, oh, my life's not that, that tough, and I can distance myself from it and kind of say, oh, yeah, wh- whatever, you know, and I actually lose the opportunity to whatever is, whatever I am experiencing, that teach me, teach me to hope in the right things, to grab the right rope. So whatever you're experiencing, you don't need to compare it to another brother and sister situation, but, but wrestle with what are you really experiencing right now? What pain, what difficulty, what hardship, what mentality, or what your view of the world, what are you really thinking about? And then let that teach you to grab the right rope. And prayerfully, we will. Peter goes on to say that it's through God's power, through faith, that's shielded by God's power. Again, can't get it from him. Until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. This will be revealed. Keep looking through that door. Keep hanging on to that rope. You're going to wait. There's going to be expectation. There's going to be tension. But don't let go. Don't drop your eyes off that door because he's coming through. And everything that we hope for will be revealed at that time. And that, brothers and sisters, is the very thing that anchors us or is meant to anchor us through everything, no matter what we experience. Breakthrough. Everything you have right now will perish. Everything you experience or hang on to will die. There's a, bro- there's a guy named Viktor Frankl who was part of a, the Dachau trans, uh, concentration camp during World War II. He was a psychiatrist in Austria. And when the Nazis came in and took over Austria in 39, they took him and his family to a work camp for two years. And then eventually he was transferred to Dachau where he and, a, he and his sister were the only two of his entire family that survived. And he writes a book about his experiences in Dachau, in the concentration camp. And he was a psychiatrist, so what he did was he actually practiced during the years he waited for liberation. And he saw his fellow men, countrymen and countrywomen, how they experienced this suffering and pain and how they handled it. And he writes about all the different ways in which people tackled it. Some of the, his fellow uh, brothers and sisters handled it by fantasy. It meant they knew their circumstances were dire, but they fantasized about what they, what they used to do, them doing again. So simple things like, I can't wait to be all together with my mom and dad again. I can't wait to be able to sit down for dinner 
with my cousins, and they kind of fantasized of that being a reality. They fantasized about going back to their jobs and what it used to be like, kind of like the good old days that we say. And he saw over time for people that fantasized over things that they wished they could have again, when they did not happen, they lost hope. That it was a matter of time before they say, you know what? This fantasy is starting to fade. And with that, so did they. Physically, began to fade. They give up and they passed away. Other people in the concentration camp resorted to basically apathy. Like, this isn't, this isn't going to go well. Look what's happening. Forget it. And those people faded the fastest. Where they gave up and said, you know, well, what's the point? We're all going to go. Look at this. Look at this situation. It's never going to get any better. And they actually kind of championed that phrase. It's kind of like, this is, this is kind of what we all need to embrace. And they embraced that, and they faded faster than any of them, he goes on to say. But it goes on for him, what he did is that he began to practice helping people and listening to their grief and listening to their trauma and talking through all of that. And as he did that, he found people who were actually hoping in something that was actually legit ended up surviving. And it wasn't there all waiting for the Messiah, but things like this, practically. I can't wait to make bread again. Simple. Has nothing to do with for whom, has nothing to do for what parties, but I used to make bread. I can't wait to make bread again. Other people who had specific jobs, it wasn't so much I can't wait to get back to the job. It was practical things that were a reality. You know what? When I'm free, I can do that. I can make bread again. I can go running. I can do this. I can do that. And those things, he said, you know what? Those people hung on. Simple things that no one could take away from them. That's what it was for them. And you think, okay, what does that do for us? The challenge is, is that hope often, according to Viktor Frankl, is that it can be located, our hope can be located in a person or a thing, a reunion, a season of life, returning to that season of life, returning to a specific memory that we hope in, and therefore it becomes a burden for the folks we rest it upon. So for example, if I hope in something I very much dream and pray for, if I hope for my two children to become disciples of Jesus, which I hope and pray for, but it's not a guarantee. I'm not them. I can't make that decision for them. They must make that choice. But if I, if I put my hope on that and they don't become Christians, that's a burden that they're going to feel that I've placed on them. And then also that burden of it may not happening crushes me. If I put a hope or you put a hope in a certain job or a promotion or a certain number and that does not come, you're putting a burden on yourself and someone else to make your dreams come true and they were never meant to hold that. They will be crushed and you will be crushed. If your hope is on the government to come through for you, you're old enough now to realize it's probably not gonna happen. 
But some of us really do. And some of our friends and coworkers and neighbors are holding out, quote unquote, hope for a certain someone. They'll even make political signs. Hope. What? That's a burden that man or woman will never, was never meant to carry. And it will kill you. Because at best, it'll only last four years. Some of us have put hopes on our spouses, expectations that they cannot carry. They're meant to do this for me. They're meant to make me feel this way. They're supposed to be this way. They're supposed to be that way. And if they're not, you're frustrated, you're irritated, you're, you're bitter. Those things happen. You're putting expectations and burdens on them that they're not meant to carry because that is not meant to be your hope. How they respond and how they do. And that doesn't mean laissez-faire. You know what? Do what you want. Who cares? My hope's in Jesus. You can do whatever. No, no, no. It doesn't mean we stop caring about who we are and how we live in our marriages and our kids. Like, do whatever you want, Cameron. My hope's in Jesus. You know, no, no, no. I'm going to help him know God as best I can. But at the end of the day, my hope's a rope, and I'm holding on to the rope that doesn't pull down a bunch of water and discouragement. It's, this is, this, oh, yep, I got the right one. And one day, the confetti's going to drop. And I'm going to be like, woohoo! it's realized. Let's go. My inheritance. So really, it's starting to think, what do I put my hope in? If it's on a person, on an accomplishment, on a thing, on a promotion, on a status, on a season of life, oh, my retirement season, this season, my new job season, my dating season, my marriage season, my season with kids, my season with kids who obey, my season with kids who are off in college and now we're empty nesters. If it's on that, you're putting a burden on something that cannot fulfill. It is a rope that will dump water on you over and over and over again when it doesn't work out the way you had, quote-unquote, not in a spiritual way, hoped for, right? So we're all old enough to recognize that we pulled the wrong rope. But what are we meant to be in this living hope is to recognize that all of those wonderful things, jobs, family, spouse, dating relationship, friendships, money, church, all those different things. When we live in a living hope, we recognize these are all gifts. These are all gifts. My children are a gift. This church is a gift. My relationships within the church are a gift. My job is a gift. What I make is a gift. My hobbies and my hope, those things are gifts. Because I know all those gifts are one day not going to be there. Victor Frankl says that the concentration camp was a, was a condensed version of life. In two years, he experienced loss of job, loss of physical health, abilities, family, and friends. Do you know, guys, that all of us are going to go through that? All of us are going to lose family, friends, our spouse, your health, your abilities, it's all going to fade. Newsflash. We're all going to be what Viktor Frankl saw. We're going to see loss. And if that's what we're hoping in, the lack of loss or the lack of suffering or the lack of, of hurt, if that's our hope, then we're going to find ourselves fantasizing the way it used to be. We're going to find ourselves becoming you know, 
apathetic and distancing ourselves, trying to numb ourselves from pain. Right? But what God wants us to understand, just like the, the, the Christians here in Rome are understanding, you're experiencing loss after loss after loss. Suffering, trial, difficulty, hardship, the world's broken. You're experiencing all that. But when you see all of what you've been given as a gift, recognizing that these things are there, I'm open-handed. I can embrace these things, accept these things for what God is using them for to teach me about him. And that's the greatest joy, is to participate in the story of what God is doing through all that happens to you, whether good or, in our eyes, not so good. It's why what Michelle and Karen shared about why we're so amazed at Jesus, that he's able to suffer so intensely, experience loss to a degree that we never will, to recognize all of that, and yet for the joy set before him, endure the shame on the cross, triumphing it over, or triumphing it over on the cross. He's able to experience all that. Why? This is all these brothers and sisters that God has given me. It's a gift, but they've betrayed me. I'm not leaning on them. All this, Romans and authorities not responding to me, my brothers, Jewish brothers and sisters, not, not, not really embracing who I am, not leaning on them. I'm leaning on you, God. I'm leaning on you. And I can be honest with you. I can say in my last, some of my last words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, Jesus is being honest and real, but yet he's hanging on to hope that is a rope to know that God will resurrect him. And that's why he can have joy in those moments. For us, the same must be true. And if we are really treasuring hope, we are going to be able to see the things that are happening in our world and not distance ourselves from them, not become numb to them, not become critical of them, not to put our lives based on how they work out, but us being able to break, for us to be able to mourn, for us to be able to grieve, for us what the Bible says, to grieve with those who are grieving, to mourn with those who are mourning, to rejoice with those who are rejoicing, disciples being able to freely do all those things, because we recognize that this is all part of God's story, working its way out to an end that I know is going to end very, very well. You've got to say that. This is going to end very, very well. This is going to end very, very well. Say it. This is going to end very, very well. And it's not because you'll craft it and you'll figure it out or it'll be the absence of this. It's because God is coming back. This living hope is real. The resurrection is real. And therefore, he gets the last say. Everything, your inheritance, your real hope on a rope is untouchable because it is in God's protective hands. It is what MC Hammer sang about. You can't touch this. And that's what we're meant to treasure. That's what's meant to inform us. That's what's meant to really help us as disciples to see this broken world and engage in it. 
Not some policy or government or this is going to change all this. No, 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 no. I can go and help and serve and love. And no matter how it turns out, I know this will end very, very well. I can love my neighbor. I can embrace the mission of God and help them become Christians. But if they say no to the hope that I have, it doesn't destroy me. It hurts me. I'm pained by that. I grieve that. I'm disappointed in that. However, Romans 5 says that hope never disappoints. So if you're disappointed, church, you're grabbing the wrong rope. Now let me say that again. If you're disappointed for a while, you're grabbing the wrong rope. Because you can be disappointed. You can be disappointed how long this sermon is going and still have hope in Jesus. You can be disappointed in what your spouse did and still have hope in Jesus. You can be disappointed left and right and center and still have hope in Jesus. But what I find is if I find myself constantly being disappointed, constantly kind of undone by what's happening around me, undone by my kids, undone by what's going on, undone by my health, undone by my mental fortitude or lack thereof, undone by the arthritis that I'm starting to get because I'm almost 40, undone by these things like, what is happening? I'm realizing, hmm, grabbing the wrong rope, grabbing the wrong rope. And I think it's up to us now to let God and his spirit help us discern what we're really hoping in, what we really hope for. We can't put it on anyone else. And what I love about what we did for communion is that God already knew this. Instead of all the things that we tend to put burdens on, you know what, God said, you know what, I'm going to come down and you can put it on me. Because you constantly keep hopping around trying to put this burden of hope on yourself and all these different things, and they're never meant to do it. So you know what? And it's, and it's killing you. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to come down. I'm going to be your hope. And all those burdens, all that sin, all that fantasizing and brokenness and all that dissidence and, and, and numbing, all this, false dreams and false seasons of hope, you can put all that on me. I'll take it. And I'll become your hope. The one thing that can handle it all. And that's who we celebrate. That's who we look at. That's the personality that we follow. That's the character that we adore. That's our Lord and whom we surrender everything to. So in conclusion, hope's a rope. Grab the right one. Peter uses some language here about fire, trials, suffering, to prove the genuineness of your faith that's worth greater, a greater worth than gold. Before I became a history teacher and before I went into the ministry, I applied to be a blacksmith in Williamsburg. I was getting married, I was married, newly married, and I needed health insurance. Mom and dad said, hey, you're married, see ya. I was like, fair enough. And I needed health insurance, so you know what? I, I'm waiting, it was in the middle of the year, I graduated in December, so teaching jobs were not really super available. Um, so I had to wait, so I was like, man, I need now. So I went to apply to become a blacksmith. Yes, dress up, do all the bit, you know, 
people stop by and I act like I'm in the 16th century, this is Jamestown, so or 17th century, and banging on stuff. And I, what I learned in that interview about blacksmiths, and some of you guys know all this kind of stuff, you, you heat up metal and you heat it up to a point where it liquefies. And all the impurities come up and you're able to scrape it and then you dip it in water and you look at it and then you heat it up again and all the impurities flow up to the top, you scrape it off, you look at it. What are you looking at? You're looking at it to be so, so clean that you can see your reflection. And that was the instruction I was given. So that's all I was going to do all day long, was just heat stuff up, scrape it, dip it, look at it. Heat it up, scrape it, dip it, look at it. That's all I was going to do. And when people came by, I'd tell them what I was doing in some English accent that I was going to have to practice. But what I learned that is that that's what God is doing to all of us. And while the monotony of Williamsburg sounds really painful, what God is doing is exciting. And he's heating up your faith to eliminate the impurities of what you're hoping in so to make sure you grab the right rope. And what's the ultimate goal? Is he can see himself in you. He can see himself in you. So the joy of going through and hoping is, you know what? The bigger story is that God is shaping me into his image. This difficulty, this, hope, this challenge, this trial, this situation is actually bolstering my faith. I know the end product of this is God wants me to be more like him. And that I can hope in. That I can understand. So there I can be honest and be real about the difficulties but not lose joy. Hope is a rope. Let's figure out and ask God to help us discern what hopes we're hanging on to that aren't meant to be hung on to at all. And let's appreciate the very gifts in our lives that we know will fade away, but they're all part of this beautiful story to help us to know God and be like him. And if we are despairing of life or if we are going through challenges where we find ourselves ah, just out of sorts, I invite you to study God's word, to meet with someone who is a disciple here at the RVC and study God's word out together so that you can have the right rope you can hang on to the right thing. And just like Karen and Michelle shared, we've come to a mountain that's unshakable. That's, that's our rope. And we can go through this life knowing that the inheritance that God is holding for us is untouchable. Let's treasure that hope. Let's treasure the process of becoming more and more like him. Let's ditch the hopes that were never meant to be at all. And let us walk in this beautiful, beautiful path of becoming more like our, our, our Father and like our Savior, Jesus. Let's stand and sing a final song. Thanks so much for coming. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. Be sure to check back every Sunday for new sermons listed right here. Subscribe to us on YouTube and like us on Facebook to stay in touch with all that God is doing in the Roanoke Valley Church. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.